I should have never done this. I should have left this alone. I'll never learn. I brought this on myself. Hello, friend. I'll never learn. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The Coffee Clash Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clutch Crew, where the revolution never stops. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing the season three finale. Episode 3.9, Shutdown. Elliot tries to save Darlene, but it doesn't go as planned. Mr. Robot needs to step up or back off. Angela considers the price. IMDb gave this a 9.8. And I'll give you my thoughts on it. As usual, there were some positives and negatives for me. As usual, I'm a negative Nancy. No. Overall, I really enjoyed season three. I thought it came out much stronger than season two. I remember with the season two finale being a little frustrated that we had seemingly nothing but questions. And I was hoping to get some resolved, but the finale seemed to only raise more. Conversely, this finale feels like they did answer a lot of questions. However, I think we saw a lot of this coming throughout the season. It was sort of a slow burn and we had time to analyze that. So I was a little worried that by the time the curtain was pulled back, the conclusions wouldn't be satisfying. Some of them, such as Price being Angela's father, (laughs) were things that you and a lot of other viewers had predicted for a while now. Yeah, I feel good about a lot of our predictions and it's not a pat on my back. We've been really paying attention and we've had clashers right in as well. And I think if you're paying attention, there was a few signs that there's something different about Angela and Price. Last season, if you recall that scene with them, I think it was a parking garage and the way Price was being so gentle is the wrong word, but very patient with her. And we don't see him patient very much. Then when we had the flashback to the party, the going away forever party. That's what tipped me off. And I said, either they're lovers or they were past lovers and that's his child. And then I was, I got scared. I abandoned it last episode. I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't that. But then with another flashback, the way Price looked at her, the, the signs were there. But I disagree with you as far as when the curtain opens, we wanted to feel surprised. I don't think that should always be the end goal for TV shows, especially with one like this, which conditions you to be surprised. I think part of the fun is the journey, and it's okay to get some of them right along the way. Well, I do think that is the issue, that Esmail has spoiled us a little bit (laughs) and engaged with the audience in wanting us to theorycraft and speculate, and there's always clues going on that we have to search for. He even narratively tells us in season two to go on a clue-finding mission, right? So we've built up all of these grand speculations We knew a lot of them probably wouldn't be true, such as the far-fetched sci-fi stuff, but it was still really fun to talk about. Although he's still stringing us along with that. Yeah, well, (laughs) I think that's the problem. And so I anticipated a little more. I mostly was looking for that in the form of the White Rose story, which we didn't get a lot more answers about what's going on at the plant. How did he brainwash Angela to begin with? And I thought that was building up to another scene between Angela and White Rose like we had last season, which I was really excited for. So the Angela Price scene was just a little bit of a letdown for me personally. But conversely, I really like the stuff that's been going on with Elliot and Mr. Robot all season long. I have to say that Esmail, again, tried to throw us off the track by saying this season was going to be about disintegration between the two of them 
where I was picking up the scent that it felt more like we were heading towards integration. But I like that. I really like that they came together and had to work together. And I like how you and myself and our Clatchers were feeling that coming. I mean, the last half of this season, we've been saying, I feel like they're going to get together. They're going to get together. They're going to have to fight together to win this. And I love the moments between the two of them. Mr. Robot pretty much telling us Elliot has been in the driver's seat this whole time. Anything Robot's been doing, it's because maybe subconsciously, but Elliot's been allowing him to do that. And Elliot did admit to that to Darlene in his apartment two episodes ago. But he didn't know specifically how much he was letting happen. Exactly. Down to the fact that Elliot jumped out of the window that day. That's another thing we got right. I was thinking about it. Remember, we were discussing it. And I said, especially after two episodes ago with the movie scene, it was again reiterating to us how good of a guy his father really was. And it just didn't make sense that he would do something like that, something so compulsive. One thing that's still in the air is what I was saying or predicting was that Elliot already had the Mr. Robot inside of him. They haven't said it's not that or it is that yet. We got it from the view of Darlene. Of course, she didn't know back then, but she knew he threw himself out. I still believe at that point he was already seeing his father as an alter ego. And his alter ego, his father, did push him out. Well, I think they maybe suggested that that did not happen because of us learning more about the nature of the relationship between Elliot and Mr. Robot. It's not entirely that Mr. Robot comes out and seizes full control of Elliot, right? He tells us even in his most extreme moments, he's not doing anything that Elliot himself wouldn't do. It's just the fact, as we've been saying, that he needs a personality like Mr. Robot to be able to take charge when things are more difficult. But what I'm thinking is you could be partially right. I think this was around the time that Mr. Robot was formed. It was created because of all the turmoil that Elliot was going through. And maybe they weren't even completely split at this point. It sounds like he was acting more erratic than we've even seen him here. So they were in the process of kind of breaking apart. So you think that movie scene after his father actually dies and he tells whomever is there in his head to shush, that's when the break actually happened? No, I still don't think that was the break. I still think it might have happened a little before that, but I don't think they were entirely compartmentalized and split off yet. If that's the case, do you believe that they'll go back to this scene again, not even visually, but speaking about it, him and Darlene, and we'll get more of an answer of why he was acting that way? Yeah, I think they will. And that's kind of where I see the danger, though, is him stringing along these answers that we're kind of coming to the conclusions ourselves. And by the time he spells it out for us, it's like, well, okay, we got to that, though. In some ways, it is satisfying, but it's not that impactful thing that I was talking about. But anytime it comes to learning more about Elliot's past and the way this psyche was formed, I am interested to see it. They can give us more of that if they want. But coming back to this episode, for those reasons I laid out, I actually found some of the most exciting moments to be the unexpected ones where I was surprised, like getting the backstory on Santiago and understanding more about why he acts the way he does. Oh, for sure. Having these intense scenes with Dom where you can see the beginnings of that forming for her, it was just gut-wrenching and really unexpected. Not to mention that while Santiago was explaining to us, Dom was giving him full frontal, you're 
a piece of shit. How could you do this? And then it's turned on to her. And now she's going to have to mold pretty much into the same shoes. Yeah. And we always knew there was more to what was going on with Santiago. And we knew they were holding something over his head. But I was still having great difficulty feeling any sympathy for me. They managed to do that with his death scene here. And I thought Dom had some intense quotes that I can't (laughs) wait to go over. Speaking of getting a little bit of a background, we got a little tiny hint, a tease that makes me so excited to find out about Irving's background. We know now that he goes back like a recliner with White Rose. Well, yeah, and that's what I mean. Even the smallest scenes or information with White Rose continues to be the most interesting for me. That was yet another thing that we couldn't have imagined, that they had this relationship at one point in time. And Irving was actually above this lieutenant on the, on the food chain. Yeah, I did not see that coming either. I think the biggest positive was something we were looking for from about mid-season on, and that's for our heroes to come out even a little bit victorious against what seemed like insurmountable odds. Vulture put it really well when they said this was a satisfying conclusion to Mr. Robot's comeback season. First, it effectively tied together the season's various threads by paring them down to the bare essentials. Generally speaking, simple is better for Mr. Robot. But mostly, it offers a potentially bright future for the series' characters, a glimmer of hope amidst a desperate landscape. And that's so true. I mean, they talk about how this is only the first step and undoing the hack is not going to fix anything. But it empowers Elliot a little bit, and I'm excited to see where that goes with season four. Absolutely. Last episode, I spoke about the fact that I hope we have at least some kind of good feeling like our heroes, quote unquote, anti-heroes or whatever you want to call them, are going to win or have a chance of winning. And we did get just that. My opinion on this episode, I really enjoyed it. I Actually, I really loved it. Sam Esmail had a mountain to climb as far as this finale is concerned. If you think about it, everything has to come together. And it has to come together in a manner that's lasting, that can last for a year in our brains. The good news is season four got the green light. I don't know what took USA so long. Maybe they just took that long to let us know. But that is right on the wire, right? So now he's back in the writer's room. Then they're going to start shooting again. So we have a while to wait for this next season. Yeah, I think part of the issue could have been what we discussed, that the viewership was down all season. So it still is a little bit of a gamble, but I think Asmail's done enough to prove himself that USA feels confident moving forward with it. Well, this is an uphill battle from episode one, Chris. It's on USA at 10 o'clock at night on a Wednesday. And he had to do the 10 o'clock slot because he wanted to get dark enough. He wanted to have a few swears if he needed to. He wanted to visually show some pretty gruesome things. And it is known that you lose millions of people. I forget the exact number, but it's in the millions when you go from a nine o'clock show to a 10 o'clock show. It's late. It's late. We got some more information about sort of what season four is going to look like too, but we'll save that for the end. As far as this finale is concerned, Sam Esmail was able to, one, he got all of our major characters together in one location, which is something that you mentioned before in the past. When he tries to do too, too much in one episode with characters, he has to jump a lot because they're all in different locations. In the finale, he had to sum up a lot of these storylines. What better way if they're all together in a scene? Yeah, and trying to get them into one place, it felt a little contrived how he had to do that. But I don't mind it because from that point on for the rest of the episode, I felt it worked a lot better. Even when he was jumping around, 
we were still basically in the same spot, just going from one character to another. I also liked the way that Angela wouldn't have fit into that, so they kept her on the side. It yes. was just a little less climactic having it be with Price than with White Rose. But overall, I think a lot of things worked. I disagree with that. I, I, I don't think it's less climactic. We needed to figure out a way to get Price back in the game. And no, he's not back necessarily in the game as far as he has a plan, but he has new meaning now. In this storyline, he is Angela's father. So they can go so many other ways now with Price. Yeah, but I don't think they will. I mean, even his reveal to her about being her father, he didn't take that to the emotional end, which I'm happy that wouldn't have felt Price-like. He even talked about how in the beginning she was just a pawn that he was going to utilize. It wasn't until White Rose started going after her that he even considered stepping in and revealing the truth to her. And by the end of this scene, Angela says she wants to get some retribution. I think that could be the interesting part if he decides to go in with her on that, but I don't see him headed in that direction yet. So I'm curious as to how they will handle it. But we're going to get into all of that and more. Let's slow it down for a second and talk about our stats. Let's talk about the origin of our title, which was shutdown-r. This is a command prompt that can be used to shut down, restart, log off, or hibernate your own computer. So when they do the dash R, that indicates a reboot after shutdown. It's not an episode where they directly linked that title in by having Elliot talk about it. But I think it's kind of obvious how it weaves itself into the reversal of the 5-9 hack and him trying to reboot. And that's another thing that I'm excited for with season four. Elliot tells Mr. Robot he knows this isn't going to fix anything. He has to do it for his own sanity just so he can sleep at night and live with himself. But he still says he has an idea for taking down the 1%. So I don't think this is over yet. Not at all. But what's great about this title is it's open for interpretation, right? So you can interpret shut down and reboot as the definition of Mr. Robot and Elliot's relationship because they are rebooting it now and they're going to work together. Hopefully it stays that way. I'm sure they're going to have some tiffs and it's going to put things in some turmoil. But as of now, they're going to work together. So they kind of shut down and reboot their relationship. And they're rebooting E-Corp, presumably with Tyrell as the CEO. Will things be different or are we just going back to business as usual? And the Dark Army is rebooting their FBI ties with Dom. And potentially rebooting their plant in the Congo, which we have no idea did that actually go through now? Were they able to get through the red tape? And what in the hell is going on there? A lot of potential in that plot line still. Something to remember is that a lot of these functions, a lot of these extensions that we talk about as far as computer talk is concerned, you do this daily. More specifically, the shutdown and reboot, you do it, but you do it using a GUI, graphical user interface. So if you're on a PC, you click that Windows button and you say shut down or you can hit restart. When you click that button, the computer is still using, it's not reading that button per se like we do as humans. That button is sending a command to the CPU and it's saying shut down, reboot, shut down slash R. You could also use it in terminal and you can actually write it. It's the same principle. Well, we also had a couple of music notes for this episode. The first one I'm not even going to try to pronounce. It's the song by Panron that played as the lieutenant arrived to the barn. You said it sounded a little bit like a version of Kill Bill. Yeah, it did. The feeling, (laughs) 
as as they pulled up and just the beat behind that song was very Kill Bill like. But that's just to me. I don't know if that was on purpose, but that's what it felt like to me. We also got intro by M83 from their album Hurry Up We're Dreaming, which played during the final scene between Mr. Robot and Elliot. And a little snippet of Criminal by Fiona Apple that played during the epilogue scene. And lastly, we had a few fun facts. They made reference again to .gz files, which is a compressed file. We've talked about that in the past. It means that a file has been reduced in size, often done to speed up distribution and save storage space. So that's where Elliot's downloading the hack files through Dropbox in order to move the Washington Township plant, something we didn't know he'd been working on for a while. And you probably noticed in the final montage, people can be seen watching the ending of the 1978 Superman where the hero accelerates around the earth to reverse time so he can save Lois Lane. Clearly a reference to Elliot trying to undo the 5-9 hack, and it turns out he, or should I say Mr. Robot, had those keys the whole time. Yeah, I can't wait to get into this. I have a lot of questions for you about that, Chris. But again, I think Esmail being cute because people have been saying, is it going to feel a little bit too much like Superman or Superpower if Elliot's just able to fix everything and undo it? So on point. As always. All right, let's just dive right into the synopsis. But before we do, we just want to remind everyone an easy way to help the Coffee Clatch Crew podcast out. It's still Christmas time. It's still holidays. And you're probably still trying to buy some last minute presents. And if you have Amazon Prime, they'll do it next day. So you're not out of time. Get it out of time, Chris? Back to the future. Yeah, so I don't have to worry that I still haven't gotten your last gift for Christmas if I do it through Amazon. Yeah, but... It's going to take a while for a new car, so I understand. (laughs) All you have to do is go to coffeeclatchcrew.com and click on our Amazon link. We have an Amazon link on the homepage or click on the main menu where it says support our podcast. And there's a plethora of ways to support us, but one of which is the Amazon link. It brings you directly to Amazon with a little code that says, hey, Amazon, the CKC podcast brought me here. Please help them out. You buy your Christmas presents, buy yourself something. Guys, you deserve it. Buy yourself something. Well, and if you know that you're going to be going in and out doing the shopping, because I can't ever get all of my stuff done, even if it's online with one sitting, you can just bookmark that link. And every time you go back to Amazon, it'll automatically pull it up. You won't have to go through that process again. Just tells them that you're shopping through the Coffee Clatch crew, so it gives us a small kickback. There's nothing else you need to do, just a few extra clicks, and that would help support us tremendously. Back to the episode, we open up with the Dark Army raiding Elliot's apartment. They find the Mr. Robot jacket as Elliot secretly listens from the next apartment. He worries that Darlene isn't responding to his texts, and the Dark Army will be targeting her too. At the end of this scene is where we get that zoom in where his CDs are scattered on the floor and we see the blank one. We all knew at this point that was going to be important for some reason moving forward. Yeah, and this reminds me, we discussed a couple episodes ago about Elliot's way of hiding his information in CDs. There's so much information with Mr. Robot that things we even discussed in detail, we forget. In season one, we talked about how he hides things behind his mp3s and behind photos and we totally forgot we had one of our clatchers via twitter write to us claudio and he wrote at ckc podcast just finished episode eight and nine of the podcast good stuff two thoughts why wouldn't mr robot try to intervene and stop elliot from trying to kill himself and two i suspect elliot's dvds are encrypted and the data not easily accessible by the fbi 
Claudio, you're right. He definitely has them encrypted and we just totally forgot. No, I think what I was thinking, I, I do remember that he was hiding them in there. But I think my train of thought was that if the FBI or the Dark Army, who is aware of things like this, was on to him enough to check the CDs, they would also be on the alert for things. So even if it was hidden within an audio file or a picture, that's something potentially they could still recognize. Now, if they would be able to get into it is another idea. And maybe Elliot is that good that they wouldn't be able to access it. And Paul says that. I'm sure the FBI could detect it if they were looking for it, but it would be less obvious. Yeah, so I guess it is a deterrent. And when you're in a rush and you're in someone's room or house, you're just throwing the CDs and you're like, all right, this isn't it, this isn't it. You don't have time to look through it. But before we move on, Claudio had that first question. Why wouldn't Mr. Robot try to intervene and stop Elliot from trying to kill himself? Well, I think, again, the answer comes back to the information we were given in this episode that it's still Elliot as the main personality here who is ultimately in charge of the actions. I know I'm jumping forward, but in the end scene, Robot says, whatever happens after this, I want us to keep talking as a team. I know I can't force you to. That's why I'm asking. So he tells us that Elliot shut him out this season. He had the ability when he wanted to, to shut him down and take back control, even if that meant killing himself. I have to believe if it went far enough and he was almost to that point, we might've seen a little kickback from Robot, like we did in the scene where he was trying to break into the storage facility. But I think he really had him compartmentalized during that episode. He had him pushed way down and away so he could handle things the way he felt he needed to. I agree with you, Chris. And some also argue that they believe that the child was not real, that that was in his head. And if that is the case, that is Mr. Robot deterring Elliot from killing himself by putting him on this journey with the child, right? Or perhaps another little piece of his mind, which we've speculated could be us acting as a form of a conscience. Did we come out to play for a little while that day? I like that. But going back, I totally derailed us. Sorry about that. Going back to this scene, we have that empty disc. And I think it's so brilliant to make it an empty disc. On the surface, it is what it is, right? It doesn't matter. But it's blank to Elliot. Only Mr. Robot knows what that is. And it's reflective upon a lot of things that have happened with Mr. Robot and Elliot in their relationship. And only in the end, when they combine forces and they have our theoretical 90s high five (laughs) freeze frame in the air is when Elliot realizes what's going on with that blank CD. It's no longer blank to him. Yeah, and Elliot's next move here is that he checks Fun Society and realizes that the DA have dozens of operatives in Manhattan So he's going to need something more to go on. It's the one time, speaking of us, that he talks to us as the audience and questions us if we can remember anything. The stakes are high. He thinks Darlene is going to die. And he's getting on himself again. I should have never done this. I should have left this alone. I'll never learn. I brought this on myself. Meanwhile, when Santiago tries to secretly take Darlene away from headquarters, Dom figures out something is up and discovers him in the garage where he punches her, knocks her out, and puts her in the car, too. That punch was very impactful to me. How about yourself? Yeah, well, emotionally, you realize the limits to which Santiago's willing to go because he's that desperate. I was glad we knew that Dom was starting to pick up on this stuff, (laughs) but I kept saying to myself, when is she going to realize fully that Santiago's dirty and he's up to something? When is the truth going to punch her in the face? (laughs) And it, it happens here. 
I like the way they film this. Normally, with a scene of this nature, it's a close-up of her face. You see a hand coming, and then it's another camera view from afar and the punch. This the whole time it was from afar, like we were watching from 30 feet away. And it looked real. Obviously, it wasn't, but it just looked good. It looked like a, a straight-up overhand right. And I think they made sure to make it that impactful to, at that point, make us have no second thoughts about Santiago. Yeah, well, that combined with the next scene, which really ramps up the terror factor for Dom and Darlene, if you move forward a little bit, they're both tied up in the back of the car. Dom realizes aloud why Santiago escaped the attack in China, that he helped them get Cisco, and in the Tyrell cover-up, he helped frame Trent and Mobley. He tries to rationalize his actions to Dom, saying that she doesn't understand what they have on him and what they put him through. And at this point, she's still feeling very self-righteous. She says, nothing would make me betray everything I stand for. Hmm, I wonder if that will ring true next (laughs) season. But that punch put us in Dom's frame of mind completely, right? So while Dom is yelling at Santiago how she feels about him and Santiago's giving his reasonings, we're totally against him at that point. And I think that's where Esmail wanted us to be mentally. Yeah, of course. But you also kind of see Darlene sitting there conspicuously quiet, just looking back and forth. And I think you can tell she knows there's more to this story too. And also that she realizes even more than Dom, perhaps, where the stakes are at, that they're really in trouble. Mm, That's interesting. I like your train of thought with that. I was thinking something completely different. I felt like she was realizing how deep this went and she was looking and quiet because this was way out of what she was thinking was going on. And she was just consuming it and trying to figure it out. Well, that could be. I read in her eyes this intense fear. She She's still kind of flabbergasted while she suspected Santiago for a while. She has this righteous anger about her that she's getting caught up in. And I don't think her mind has quite gone to the point yet of they could be going to their deaths right now. (laughs) But let's pause for this next scene that we get where Elliot summons Mr. Robot on the Ferris wheel in Coney Island to get information from him. Robot says the whole reason they're not working together is Elliot refuses to talk to him. But, and this is where we get half of the big point, Elliot says he actually missed him. I actually missed you. The only reason we haven't been talking Because I haven't let myself. Because I've been scared of you. And that's where I'm inferring that he's shut him away so hard because of everything we've been saying this season. The, The whole point of forming this alternate personality is Elliot wasn't able to accept those things yet. He wasn't able to integrate them into himself. And possibly he is coming to that point here. And the big question still left in his mind is what would have happened with those 71 buildings? That's something ethically, morally, he can't believe that he would do. He can't be any part of that. And if the answer was yes here, I think we would have seen a very different result. Mr. Robot still remained sidelined. But instead, he says he wouldn't have done it. He would have found another way. Because as much as there is a part of you in me, there is a part of me in you. And that was really the first big step towards them coming together. So Elliot pushes for information on Darlene and Robot tells him the FBI has a mole. A lot of people did not enjoy the scene for some weird reason. 
I think they are so hell-bent on moving forward that they hate when a scene is in a past location. I thought it was brilliant to put it back on the Ferris wheel. Oh, and their talk together is the moment I've been waiting for for three seasons now with all of the splitting apart from each other, the fighting each other, the chess matches, the shooting each other in the head, all the way until last episode, like we said, with Elliot shutting out Robot so hard that we didn't see him for the full episode. This is that moment together that we've been waiting for, where Elliot can actually address that part of himself in his mind and start to be okay with it. And sure enough, now they start working together to figure out where Darlene is. Realizing the clue must be physical, Robot finds the red wheelbarrow menu with more number ciphers. Elliot's trying to work it out when they realize Irving is there in his apartment. Ooh, creepy, creepy. Oh, that was scary. And as usual, Irving starts going on some seemingly random tangent. Just finish this book. I got it on tape. I didn't care much for the ending. I mean, a story could have a mediocre beginning and a middle. Oftentimes it does, but always got to have a wow ending. Otherwise, what's the point? Which we slowed down so we could see what it was. It's called Death Likes It Hot by Gore Vidal, writing as Edgar Box. And it seems like, you know, just another crime drama thriller. Irving tells us a story can have a mediocre beginning, even a middle, but it has to have a wow ending. Otherwise, what's the point? I love this show in the fact that I feel like Esmail's talking to us. I feel like he's saying after all this, he feels the pressure to have a good ending. And he hears the people saying season two was mediocre. (laughs) It's okay. You're allowed to have that as long as I come back with a bang here. Can you imagine having that pressure on you, though? No, it's got to be intense. Very intense. He knows that he has to end this correctly. It can't be a lost type of TV series. And what I mean is lost the TV series that everyone loved and they hated the ending. Well, and to me, that gives me even more hope for seasons four and five that those big punches we've been waiting on could still be yet to come. Well, and this ends with Elliot realizing if Irving is there, they must have Darlene and Irving instructs them to come with him. Let's talk about Irving real quick, and I'm going to fight to not talk about Irving this whole entire episode. (laughs) I love Bobby Cannavale here. He is brilliant. So suave as he's demanding the scene. So suave as he's dealing with things in life that if you and I were in, we would not be able to hold ourselves together. He brings up a book. He announces himself there by bringing up a book that he owns and making a point off of that book. And then slamming the book down, not too hard where it's obvious that he's slamming it for their attention, but enough where he's holding court. Well, I have to say it's not just you that's been appreciating Bobby Cannavale. Of course, the viewers have been talking for a while how amazing his performance is. And Esmail has really been enjoying working with him. So I read an article by The Hollywood Reporter that talks about his next upcoming show. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's called Homecoming. And Cannavale will be acting in this as well. And Esmail says he's just jumped and will continue to at any opportunity to work with him. I'm refraining from saying anything else about Irving. (laughs) He's going to be brought up later. I have so many questions. We're going to get to him really soon. But we had kind of a, a cut scene here where we get a brief moment with Angela. She's at this house that I think we're all assuming at this point in the episode is some mansion of White Rose. 
I love the imagery. I, I guess some people aren't into this, but I really am the visuals that Esmail does with her. She's dressed all in white again, standing in the backdrop of this window. So the light is coming in on her and yet it's stormy outside and all around her. So perfect. And she tells the house manager she needs to see White Rose. She has information for her. But he corrects her and us as well and says she can tell Price when he arrives. I did not see that coming. I thought mm-hmm. she was going to see White Rose. Mm-hmm. So that was a great twist. There's so many twists as we go through this, Chris. You said you didn't feel like you were thrown off enough. I think it's there was a lot of little sprinkles to kind of make your wheels skid. Yeah, not the twist. Those I got, but the ultimate answers. So the eventual conversation she's going to have with Price was a little less than fulfilling with me, I guess, because I was just waiting on that captivating scene between her and White Rose where we get some of those answers to what is she up to? Mm -hmm. How did she brainwash Angela and turn her into a ranting, disheveled bag lady? (laughs) I mean, posting up hundreds of pictures along her wall, something got into her psyche in a big way. And I want to know more about that. Absolutely. I understand where you're coming from. How was she reprogrammed? We're talking about season two right there. That whole scene with her with White Rose, we still don't know what the hell happened there. We were shown what Esmel wanted us to see, but we still don't really know what happened that night. And you're ready to know. You want to know. Well, in point in case, that was one scene, right? And it stands out so vividly in our mind still. I think it remains my one of my favorite scenes of the entire series. And he didn't have to keep coming back to it. So the way he's doing with some other things, like the Elliot being pushed out the window and just giving you little Mm -hmm. bits so that he can eventually reveal the full truth. But by that point, it's not entirely this huge surprise anymore. He doesn't have to do that with the white rose stuff, right? It's intriguing enough when he finally comes back around to it. I'm going to be at the edge of my seat freaking out. And I'm so anxious for it that everything else just feels... Not as good. That's amazing. So while I wish we would have seen more of her and what's going on there, I do love the way he's handling it. I guess I can't exactly say the same thing about Angela and Price, but both of their acting was amazing. We'll come to that in a couple of scenes. We do have to bring up that weird white dude, though, that was talking to Angela. The house manager. I just kind of said it a second ago. That's how they're referring to him. And he's feeding QWERTY. That dude is, <laughs> what is up with that guy? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to break there. We come back to Irving taking Elliot to the cabin Tyrell was kept at. We first see a view of the car on a winding road from above, what you called a drone shot. Another instance, I think, of Esmil hearing the viewers, he's been putting some potential Shining references in there. This is definitely a direct one with the visual imagery and the scary music in the background, that lets us know something really intense is going to happen. And in fact, later it does get both scary and violent. (laughs) They arrive here where they find Santiago holding Dom and Darlene. He tells Irving he knows this looks bad, but it's salvageable. And it's time they clean up his mess for a change. By mess, he means Dom. Irving says he knows how to fix it, They go outside while Leon watches Elliot and Darlene. Yeah, looking back at that scene now that we know what his fixing was, that's a friggin' dark scene right there. Yeah, so before we go to that, inside, Elliot says they're being watched. Okay, we got two operatives. Leon's pretty good with a knife. 
What are you thinking? I'm not trying to escape. Elliot, these guys aren't fucking around. Who do you think you're gonna talk to out here? Who do you think? White Rose. You've played that game already. She doesn't want to see you. She's seeing us right now. Chill out because there's more going on here than what meets the eye. I think this is going to go under a lot of people's noses, but it's very important to press the fact that you realize Elliot's the one in control right mm-hmm. now. Mr. Robot is the one freaking out. That's normally Elliot's job. Yeah, and his only thought is how to escape, where Elliot is seeing this through to you're not picking up on this stuff. He's able to sort of calm down, be observant, realize what the bigger picture is here, because that's the only way they're going to get out of it alive, through his wits. Exactly. White Rose already played your card. There's no... She's not coming. She doesn't care about you anymore. No, White Rose is watching us right now, and I'm going to manipulate this situation. Well, and thank goodness he had thought that far ahead, because the hack that he winds up using to bribe their way out of there is the only thing he had left. It was the only card he could have played that White Rose would have wanted. So do you believe that the fact that Elliot was the one that the pendulum swung and Elliot was the one to be able to take care of the situation was one of the catalysts to make them be able to work together? Yeah, well, I also think as he starts to integrate more, and I'm using that word a lot, but really it's the summation of the Elliot robot journey this season, he's able to start taking back some of those pieces for himself a little bit, the ability to be in control and be a leader again, but to do it in a way he believes in, not that goes against his ethics, his morals, stuff that he can't live with. He knows the solution here is to put things back the way they were, and he's okay with that. Now, giving her what's going on at the plant, maybe he doesn't know, like, we don't know what the extent of that is, and so it's okay. If that's what she wants, give it to her. If you remember, Elliot was very strong if he was in the background. He could find out what someone's up to and get them in trouble with the the police and get them escorted out of E-Corp. Or he could go back to the first season, episode one, He could find out what this restaurant's owner's doing, and then he can confront them after he's done all the work. This is more of him looking the devil in the eye and being able to manipulate the situation as it's unfolding. And that's completely brand new for him. Sure, but it's still social engineering, like you're saying. He has been watching White Rose the whole time. He had this hack. He didn't just come up with it right now. It was in his back pocket because at some point he figured out what does she really want more than anything? What's going on at this Washington Township plant? She wants to have it moved to the Congo. So he had that ace prepared for when he needed it. Well, maybe he had it prepared for last episode when he thought he was meeting White Rose. I'm sure. He's been asking for a meet for a while now, going back to when he showed up at the Red Wheelbarrow. I need to talk to White Rose about stage three. He didn't. That's right. Yeah. You know, so I'm not sure when exactly he figured it out. But as you said, something that Mr. Robot wasn't even thinking about. He's got the one track mind about his revolution And he didn't even understand how far this extended to White Rose and the Dark Army's reach. Well, now they switch over to Dom outside. And again, this is where I think the cut two scenes work because we're moving back and forth between Elliot, Robot, Darlene on the inside of the barn. 
Irving Dom on the outside, but it's still basically within the same timeline, even the same location. So it just helped to build tension for me, switching back and forth. Dom tries to talk her way out of the inevitable, but Irving shuts her down. He picks up the axe, tells her not to get too worked up, just look at the sky and take a deep breath. Santiago tries to stop Irving, saying Dom can be flipped, but then Irving swings and kills Santiago. I did not see that coming. Holy shit. Yeah. And I love the fact that Esmel chose this location because of all the barn scenes that we know of, which is with Tyrell. What do you remember the most? Oh, of course, the chopping. Yeah, exactly. And he even takes his shirt off. Yep. Right? Down to his beater. So it's that exact mirroring. One little bit of redemption for Santiago. He thinks Dom's life is on the line here, and he's trying hard to get it to be that she's not killed. We can flip her. We can flip her. Yeah. And as soon as he is killed, Irving tells Dom, she'll take his place. You're working for the Dark Army now. She'll go back to the FBI, act like business as usual, and feed them information. This is just another day for Irving. Mm, Yeah. It barely even seemed to phase him. I mean, at this point, I'm thinking he's truly part deranged. He centers himself before he starts hacking at Santiago. I don't know if he ever was more of a different person before he perhaps got involved with White Rose and you do what needs to be done. So you can survive or you get eliminated like the Hmm. rest of these players, you know, but that's an interesting thought. What was the Irving journey? And I think there's more story to tell there. We'll definitely be seeing that in season four. Absolutely. This scene, so much happened. We saw visually a beautiful scene with Irving hacking at Santiago. We saw the end of Santiago and we saw the way... Irving approaches everything, his cool demeanor, even in that, he looked intense while he was doing it, but still kind of cool about it, right? And then we saw the setup of how he's going to get Dom to be manipulated into this system and actually makes us believe like, oh, I guess I do believe that Dom will have to do this and I'll believe that her character will need to. Yeah, from the minute Santiago showed up there with Dom and Irving looked at the two of them and he was saying, you have to fix this, his mind went right to... Okay, Santiago's run out of his usefulness. He's getting sloppy now. He needs to be eliminated, and we'll just put Dom in his place. We'll start this whole situation over again. And like we said, that makes you feel for, at one point in time, this was probably Santiago not wanting to be involved in this. He might have had the same self-righteousness that Dom has here, where she initially tries to rebel, saying that she won't do this, she won't be involved. Maybe he saw somebody murdered right in front of him and then had his whole family threatened. And along the way, he just got more and more hardened to, he has to do these things. He has no choice. This is a long journey we've gone on with Dom. If you think about season two, I think one of the main through lines as far as her character is concerned, all those scenes with the FBI, there was a plenty of things that were resolved or was taken care of in season two with the FBI being a storyline. But I think the main caveat for Esmel and Dom was to this scene. Yeah, well, I think it kind of seemed like, why are we getting so many scenes with Santiago? Mm, And are they trying to make us feel bad for him? It's not working. It was that slow setup so that we would look back now. All of those times where Santiago is probably looking at her like, 
you dumb little naive girl, you know, you're full of this. We have to do the right thing. (laughs) Well, in his mind, probably because she keeps going against him, making his life difficult, telling him how they're the FBI, right? They have to get to the bottom of this. And he probably wanted so badly to say, there's so many things going on that you don't understand. You're just a cog in the wheel. And if you don't continue spinning, we're going to kill your family. Yeah, and I was thinking to myself, where does she think this bravado is going to get her in this moment? Didn't she see Irving just hack this man to pieces? But she can't accept that yet. She won't allow herself to. And Irving ends that by saying, in time, this will get easier to live with. You know, reviewing TV shows and actually trying to relive it and doing all these notes, it puts you in a deeper seat than just watching a show. It makes you think about those characters more deeply. And it made me think about what if I was Dom? Like, how would I feel mm. if I went through this? I would be none the wiser. I, I would have to fold to it well, and become else, the next Santiago. Yeah, what else can you do at this point? I mean, she's seen the Dark Army means business, what they did in China, what they did to Cisco, Trent and Mobley. They have no hesitation killing people, engaging in terrorist attacks where they take down 71 buildings and slaughter thousands of people. Mm. They're powerful. Their reach seems endless at this point. Who can get one over on them? And she has not a friend left to her name. Mm. Now that Santiago is dead and she sees the full extent of what was going on here, as much as she thought she was fighting him, he maybe was her only ally in this. So unless she eventually comes over to the Elliot-Darlene side, which we thought might happen this season... I don't know now. Surely we don't end up that way. She has some very serious words for Darlene that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But unless she teams up with F-Society in some way, who else does she have to go to? So we go back to the barn now. There's this beautiful shot when they come back inside. It's very dark in there but there's the sunlight streaming in through the shafts of the slats of the barn. Just this really interesting visual of light and dark. And Dom comes back in looking bedraggled. Leon says, very cavalierly, looks like she just got her initiation. Mm -hmm. And just, I'm growing to really hate Leon's character. Nay. (laughs) I mean, I guess, like we said, this is kind of how you have to be if you're working in this operation. But talk about putting yourself in Dom's shoes. Yeah. How (laughs) badly do you feel? And now this is the response. Like, you just got initiated. You're one of us now. And I just realized now we we kind of breezed over the fact that Leon's been there. And he's got dreads now. And everyone (laughs) loves Leon, including me. I don't anymore. I love his one-liners. They have such impact. And when he talks, he doesn't waste words. When he speaks, the four words, the five words in a sentence, they all have meaning. Mm-hmm. His real estate of, of words, well, he's high all the time. so That's probably a big factor. <laughs> or it could be the opposite. He could be the high guy that always just talks about shit. And you're like, what the fuck did you just say? You just said well, one. Well, he does do that when he's talking about popular TV shows. <laughs> well, that's true. There you go. Yeah. But I love Leon there. And we even had some clashers during our Twitter poll saying... I want to vote for Leon, but there was t- he didn't have enough impact. He didn't do enough. But he does impact every scene he's there, and I love that he's there. Well, Esmail must have done a good job putting me in Dom's headspace because I felt like her here. I just wanted to kill everyone involved with the Dark Army. 
you know, you're feeling so cornered and helpless for her. But then we pan over, and I love this. Mr. Robot's able to talk to Elliot. Elliot's able to hear that because nobody else knows what's going on right now. I thought they were going to use that to be able to secretly work together and scheme their way out of it because it's like having a hidden weapon. But it goes back to what you said, where Elliot's really in the driver's seat here. Robot is freaking out, but Elliot says it's clear they've been instructed to wait. Nobody's going to kill them yet because someone important is coming. It's one thing to note, and this is kind of off base with where you're at right now, but I just realized this must hit you close to home because you have an uncle that owns a lot of land in upstate New York. And this is just, it looks like your uncle's land mm-hmm. right there. So this actually might be happening. It's somewhere in, <laughs> in one of those barns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that natural beauty as a backdrop set against the true ugliness and darkness of what's happening on the inside. For sure. And we see White Rose's lieutenant arrives with his agents. Irving says he took care of things, but he had to kill the FBI mole. He has a replacement. And when he starts to leave, saying he's taking his sabbatical, the lieutenant tries to stop him. This was an amazing scene. Irving grabs his face and sets him straight. Tell me something. She's still making her spontaneous overtures. She make you taste it yet. Remember, Dollface, I was you years ago. And I've already done my time. I think she'll be good with me. And that's it. That's all he has to say. The look on the lieutenant's face after that, he looks so shocked and stricken. This says so much. It tells us that Irving is not just some middleman, right? We thought he was a middle management guy that took care of things, cleaned up stuff. The fixer. The juxtaposition between Grant pulling up like badass. He's got, you know, that music. (laughs) You can almost tell it's this false bravado. He's got his sunglasses on like he needs to play the part. You know when somebody's overcompensating Mm -hmm. for feelings of inadequacy? I get that a lot here in New York. (laughs) And um, Irving just walks up with a couple of lines. You think you're badass? I was where you were. I worked my way up. I've been through all of this. Basically, he's saying, you're not going to be able to snap your fingers and they're going to kill me. I'm way above you, guy. You don't even know. You can't even stop me. If I want to leave, I'm leaving. One thing he did ask him to do is clean up his mess out there, but then he gets killed. Who's going to clean up that mess? And the two agents get killed. That, don't. Yeah, that's a lot of mess. <laughs> I love this scene. This made me love Irving even more. I love this dude. But tell me, is this his goodbye to us? I don't think so. He even phrases it a sabbatical Mm. as though he'll be gone for a little while, but we will see him again when he's done writing his book and centering himself. Or is Esmail going to bring him up to us when we forgot about him? We won't forget about him, but that's a little wink, wink to the end of this season. But we did find out from one of Esmail's interviews that it's still open-ended. He's not signed on. Cannavale is not signed on for another season. So if he doesn't get him back... It's still tied up in a nice bow. Yeah. They left it so it could go either way. Exactly. It's very smart. We want him back. We want him back, and I think they know we want him back. Well, and Esmail does too, so... He's got it. Yeah, he's working with them in a new project, so yeah. Well, the next two scenes cut back and forth, but we're going to cover them one at a time. We go from Angela and Price 
back to Elliot and Mr. Robot with the Dark Army at the barn. So we'll start out with Angela. She tells Price she wants to leave. She wouldn't have come here if she knew it was his house. Price said he's been worried about her, and he knew when he saw the state she's been living in, he had to intervene. And at this point, Angela is still all worked up. She's got to get out of here. You know, her meeting with White Rose is more important. She's supposed to be with her because she has a plan. But Price starts to tell her this story and kind of set her straight. He says he's known of White Rose's delusional plan for years. He needed to manipulate Angela into dropping the lawsuit because she was threatening the plant. And White Rose would have done anything to stop that, including killing her. And so he explains the truth about why he cares. He met Angela's mother, Emily, 32 years ago, where they both worked at E-Corp. They dated, and he loved her, but he never told her. Instead, he was cruel to her because he couldn't allow himself to be vulnerable. So when she found out she was pregnant, she said she wouldn't allow her child to be raised by a monster. Shortly after, she met his father, who agreed to raise Angela as his own. Price says he never even planned to tell her until he realized what White Rose had done. This so-called project that Angela is raving about really just stems from a denial of reality and was a petty dig at Price. So again, I like that throughout this scene, he's not emotional. No. He delivers it just, this is the way it was. I wasn't even going to tell you. I was just going to use you the way I needed to until White Rose started getting crazy about everything. And now you need to know the truth. And the truth is just as dark and grim. (laughs) I mean, he loved her mother, but they had no kind of great relationship here. This was perfectly acted and perfectly planned because it... Easily, they could have made this like, this needs to be an emotional father thing, right? Mm, And that wouldn't have made sense. It would have been horrible. The fact that Price was still Price, and he was a matter of fact, he had some feelings there, because we knew he had feelings about her, the way he looked at her. We also learn now that that first time he saw Angela, and he said he wanted Allsafe to be the company, we now realize this wasn't from the jump off, White Rose's plan, it was Price getting them involved. And then it just started to snowball and Price lost control. I think he's going to be smarter about it in the future. But the juxtaposition between what's going on in the barn and here, a lot of people didn't like, and I I think you didn't like. I actually enjoyed it because it wasn't too overly emotional. It was right with the storyline. It was perfect for me. No, the scene was accurate and it was well acted by both of them. I really enjoy the performance by both of these characters all season. Even when people are saying things with Angela seem a little overblown, I think Portia Doubleday is acting it tremendously. It just felt a little anticlimactic to have this conversation play out on screen. It was almost like we didn't need that. I mean, Angela needed to find out for sure. But I go back to people have been speculating that the odd nature of their relationship could be that he's her father. And I go back to the weird sexual tension that was there between them and maybe completely one-sided from Angela, but it, it kind of felt like Bryce was using that to manipulate her in seasons one and two, and it's just so bizarre now to me. I never felt sexual tension. Maybe she was trying to bring up that to use it as a tool, but I never felt from his side. No, it felt more... Well, she thought they were going on a date that one night. Right, she showed up and the two coworkers was there. She was disappointed. Yes, so I don't think her on side. her end it was right. entirely for manipulation, which is gross. 
now, but I guess yeah, you're she making didn't. this weird. <laughs> I'm telling you, go back and watch those scenes. Yeah, SNL maybe was right. laying it out maybe to throw us off the scent. Yeah, but um, in retrospect, I mean, I guess it's Price. So you know, she must have thought, why else would he be all of a sudden interested in her and hiring her and all this stuff? Now that you look back at it, you you understand. And he maybe had to lead her to believe that because otherwise. Yeah, why would he care? And then yeah. she might start to get suspicious. And to go back at what you were saying previously, I have to disagree with you again. I'm sorry. I love you. But I'm, I have to disagree. We needed that conversation because she was going nutso. And we need to believe that she was pulled out of that craziness. And we don't know specifically if she's no longer crazy. But let's go off the fact that next season she won't be that fucking loony. That means that we needed to see a conversation that broke her down to make her realize because Elliot couldn't do it, right? No one could do it. She was like, no, you weren't there. White Rose has the answers. You haven't seen it. You need to talk to White Rose. We need that conversation. I totally agree with you in order to rebalance Angela. It was so necessary for her character, but why when the truth he's telling here is mostly about his own shortcomings and the fact that he's her father and he had to step in because he was worried of what could happen to her. Why did that break this brainwashing that was programmed from White Rose. Clearly she's been told something or she thought she saw something. Whatever White Rose drilled into her that made her Mm. this nuts, it didn't seem like anything Price was telling her should shake her out of that. I mean, he wasn't even really talking that much about White Rose. Because engulfed in that, when he brought up White Rose and said the project was a dig, it was all about me, he was matter of fact with that. And he kind of brought it to a human element. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but let's take this for an example, right? Somebody super powerful has this meeting with you where they show you, I don't know, the secrets of the universe, a machine that can change things, allow you to change a moment in time or something. See me as a child. Right? And so you get completely converted to this. This could make everything better it could change everything you put all your faith in that to the point that it makes you do things that kind of go against who you are and later you you regret them so much that it starts breaking you now this person who you don't really know that well your boss comes to you and says oh i never told you that i'm your father sorry sorry about that i'm this this neglectful dad who uh who doesn't really care that much, had a thing with your mother once. And this white rose person was really just trying to get back at me for that. That conversation makes you now disbelieve every... I mean, to me, that's just not totally adding up. Well, I mean, you kind of broke it down so academically. I don't have an argument <laughs> for the way you portrayed it. I didn't see it that way, that academic. No, because we were getting caught up in, in um, Price's emotions that were really more about the relationship there. And maybe Angela was too, but I think tomorrow, if she has another conversation with White Rose, she's right back to being Looney Tunes. I think it was more the fact that Price was saying, I was in on this. The whole thing, we've been working together, me and White Rose. And whatever she said to you, that's not the true case. I know what's going on. And the ending case, well, let me stop right there. What the show is trying to say is that she went a little nutso mm-hmm. towards the end, the last couple episodes, because of her guilt, which kind of sucks. But her yes. guilt 
for all those buildings being brought down and all those dead people. And the fact that there is no bringing them back. Right. And he was saying, there's not this deep thing. It, White Rose did it. You didn't do it. White Rose did it to get back at me. Yeah, but A, wouldn't that make you feel worse? No, because she really didn't do shit as opposed to those buildings getting taken down. Or, or okay, so then B, I think if I was Angela and I was that crazy the way we've been seeing her lately, my first impulse would be, you don't know. You know, who are you? Now you're telling me you were in on this the whole time and you knew about all of this and this is just a thing to get back at you. It's not. White Rose has a bigger vision. She told me. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. I don't know. Then it feels like a really sharp turnaround for her, given how off the deep end we saw her last episode. And like you said, they didn't confirm that. So maybe, maybe she's not. Maybe she still kind of is a little bit nuts. But the last thing she said was that, well, then I want retribution on mm. White Rose. So it was a big flip to, to go all the way to that. I see what you're saying. Okay, so maybe there wasn't enough to convince you to flip that woman who was so convinced. Okay. Who was so right. far out there. But yeah, I mean, I think they're going to go back to that. And I think we have to see her interact again with White Rose Yes, soon. for sure. So I'm hoping that sheds some more light on that. So I, I know, I'm sorry, I was a little harsh on that end of it. But coming back to these scenes are all split with the Elliot side of it. I loved every second of what was going on at that barn. Elliot first tried to bribe the lieutenant into letting Darlene go, saying, I own every single system. The Dark Army is compromised. This was intense. Yes. He says they infected themselves with the malware when they took his computer and their entire history will go public. To prove it, he gives them some examples. You know, seven days ago, the Russian government bribed them to hack the DNC. Two days ago, they bribed the president of South Korea to allow backdoors in all the military networks. He even knows they use price to annex the Congo for China. And if either him or Darlene dies, he'll leak all of that. So <laughs> it seems so intense, like, yeah, what are they going to say to that? <laughs> but then the lieutenant just turns around and says he knows. He knows Elliot wants to reverse 5-9 and they don't care. It's already served its purpose. And I thought that's it. You know, the agents start holding guns to Elliot and Darlene's head, and, and he's played everything he's got. What can he do? Yeah, and in the meantime, all this is happening. We see a quick glimpse of Leon looking at his phone. And I knew that was fucking White Rose. I knew it. Mm. I knew it. Well, but so what we didn't know, desperate, Elliot finally pulls out this ace, saying he engineered a hack that can move the Washington Township plant to the Congo. The guns are still being held to their heads, but Leon fires first, unexpectedly killing the agents. Awesome scene. Leon's a good shot. At first, I didn't know who was dead, who had <laughs> shot who, what was going on. It was crazy. But then it kind of slows down because the lieutenant's phone rings and it's White Rose. She says, you've always been blind to Mr. Alderson's value. That's why you could never see my plans through to the end. She has this comment and it's phrases like this that drive the conspiracy theorists nuts because they hint at something bigger. She says their time is at an end for now. For now. I'll find you. But she'll you. find him. Yep. Come on. It's so cryptic. <laughs> SML is playing with us. He's keeping that door open. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, yeah, don't shut that door. Yeah, keep thinking it might be about time oh, travel. Oh, but if there's nothing behind that curtain, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be time travel, but... 
she just makes it sound like there's this bigger thing that a lot of people don't understand. And that really just drives this man to his breaking point. He drops the phone and shoots himself. No, it wasn't his breaking point. That was White Rose saying, you're done. Oh, you think that was a command? Oh, for sure. That was a command. <gasps> oh, I didn't yeah. pick Soldier, up on that at all. You're done with me. I'm done with you. And uh, either take yourself out or Leon's going to do it. See, I totally thought that was, you don't know what you're doing. You don't get it. And he was so distraught that not only is he not part of the bigger plan, but he's not together with White Rose anymore that he couldn't deal with it. No, quintessential soldier. Wow. Well, and he has these final words, which he says in Mandarin. So obviously we didn't know what they meant. And it wasn't on the closed captioning. But thankfully, one of our Clatchers did the research for us. He watched the Verge after show. And I guess Grant was on it. I didn't see this, but I would love to. We found out the words he said before taking his life were, take Take care care of her. And that right there means he was sacrificing himself because that was his order. And he still loves her. Take care of her. And he's hoping that what his goddess, White Rose, is saying, I'm going to reverse all of this and I'll find you. Is true. Well, I had that thought as well, that whatever she's saying to all of these people, she's really got them believing because to him, it's not such a huge thing to take his own life. It can be undone. They believe that firmly in what she's telling them. And I firmly believe that she's got them believing because the way she made Angela believe. And you have to be showing them something or giving them enough proof of something that's that convincing in order to make people this brainwashed. So that's why I'm really curious as to what the hell is going on that she's got them religiously following. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but not necessarily. I mean, you just said it, religiously. Religion. So many people believe wholeheartedly. They go to wars over religion. They've never been visually shown anything. Oh, no, but told convincingly enough and given a figurehead that inspires them, strikes awe and fear. And it it seems like definitely White Rose does that. But we always knew, take that day in the room with Angela. There was more to that scene, something she was told or shown that we don't know about. And I want to know what that is. I know. Can I ruin something for you? Okay. All right. Put your tinfoil hat on. Mm -hmm. Kirk, put your tinfoil hat on. I'm going to put mine on. It could be something as simple as this. You saw the environment. It was a closed room. There was a lot of trippy things. And the environment was set up to the point where there was old computers. Everything looked from when she was a child. Mm -hmm. So easily. That was a closed room. No windows. Drugged. White Rose has access to psychotropic drugs. And then it could have been just another child who's blonde. A lot of people said that. As a possibility, White Rose set up the room that way. She found a child that looked like Angela. And I even heard about the drugging thing. See, this is bullshit because I don't read this stuff and I come up with it in my oh, head. Oh, I'm sorry. And then other people write about it, apparently. It's, it's been going on since like Damn that it. scene happened. I'm I swear sorry. to God, I just thought of that right now. <laughs> um, I talked about how they could have found the Angela double and I just felt like you had to go really far out there to kind of say that because now you have to believe she's done that with all of these people in the dark army that really 
believe in that. And it, if it's just that one experience, now over time, take a man like this lieutenant mm-hmm. who's serving her and has to do awful things and has to this and that. Something keeps them. It's different for every person. It's not that same room for everybody. That's the way he was able to manipulate Angela because he knows her weakness when she was a child. It's different for everybody else, you know? Yeah, but when it comes to these brainwashing things or these religious things, fear works. Yeah, as, as you know, fear we saw works it with good. Dom and... But stronger even than that is a hope, a belief in this thing that you can hold on to. And I think she's got that. She's got something that continually inspires that belief over and over again, at least for her top echelon hmm. of followers. You know, the low level, level followers, she probably does what she did with Santiago. Well, I've got this on you or I'll kill your entire family. You have to just comply. But the people that really believe in her, mm-hmm. I think, have seen something else. I hope so, too. That's, that would make a good storyline. And I'm not saying necessarily that thing really exists or even that it really exists, but she's somehow made them believe it does. And even that is still very interesting to me. But let's come back to the end of this scene. After that happens, Leon just calmly pulls out the computer and continues along. He says it's time for Elliot to come through on his offer. So Elliot gives it to them. And when they leave, Robot asks, What do we do now? Undo the hat. Okay, I don't know if our clatchers have smoked weed, but how does someone like Leon roll with the punches so well? Something so crazy. Imagine smoking a lot of pot. You pull up, you, and you're in a barn, and there's people with guns, and you have to shoot people, and you're just like, all right, man, you, he, you said you could deliver something. He just shot two men, watched another one kill himself. But I'd be like, oh my God, man, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? Oh shit, I smoke too much. Just continue along. So also we see on this that what Elliot is doing is there's a cargo shipment that's meant to go to Congo. And what he's going to do is manipulate the shipment manifest, I'm assuming, to say that all of these big equipments, I mean, we saw the size of that. This is pretty ridiculous. He's going to change the manifest. All this equipment's going to also go on this cargo. Yeah, it's got to be pretty crazy, the hack he manufactured, because we heard just last episode, there's more to it than that. International borders have had their security increased to the point where nobody's able to move anything. There's higher level things going on. But this cargo was already greenlit. Mm-hmm. And it's on its way. So we know, though, whatever she was transporting is huge. It's right? huge. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. And then we go to outside in the car where Dom allows Elliot to sign into Sentinel with her name. And that was another big piece of the puzzle. But she is not happy with any of this. She then leaves the car and has this showdown with Darlene. She tells her she's a terrible person who deserves pure agony for the rest of her life. This was intense. This was a crazy, intense scene. We see what Dom's going through right now. She's got the turmoil of her life is really changing right now. She's going to become that person that she hates, that person she was yelling at moments ago and in the car. And she's taking it all out on Darlene. It's all her fault. I mean, she's spitting venom. 
She tells her, you've taken everything from me. My whole life is ruined because of you. Live with that. Die with that. My goodness. Well, if you think about it, she's in this circumstance. You would say, it's not just Darlene. It's everything. It's the Dark Army. It's E-Corp. It's Elliot. It's the whole F Society. But her in particular is in this situation because of that night at the bar. She brought her home. She caught her trying to get into her safe. She brought her to the FBI, and she told Santiago and herself that someone in the FBI is a mole. And back further than that, she trusted Darlene. She made her a confidential informant. She was being told mm-hmm. Darlene's not giving up the information. She really pushed this. And, I, you know, I don't think Darlene deserves everything that Dom's heaping on her right now, but you can certainly see where she's coming from. Well, Grace Gummer just did an amazing job acting this scene. She really sold it for me. And all episode long, I felt a lot more emotionally connected to her. Yeah. And the portrayal feels a lot more realistic. There were some things that just weren't clicking, especially between her and Darlene for me last episode. But this interaction is so on point. It was amazing. And meanwhile, inside the car... Elliot figures out the FBI had Romero's key loggers, but they were encrypted with a password. They couldn't figure it out, but Elliot can. But the next big bomb drop, he finds Romero didn't do it. He actually caught someone else exporting the data. Okay, Chris, this was good and this was bad for me. The good part was it was Mr. Robot, and to extrapolate from that, it's pretty cool. Mr. Robot was part of Elliot's mind and the whole thing, the whole connection with Mr. Robot felt like this is something Elliot would do, Mm -hmm. right? That's awesome. I think that's brilliant, especially for a finale. But for that to be hidden under this whole journey we're supposed to be on to find out what the FBI and what Romero was figuring out, that fell a little flat for me because it, it kind of was like, oh. Well, that's another one of those, it took us so long and Esmail strung it out over so much time that when you finally pull the curtain back, it's a little anticlimactic. It was just Elliot the whole time. I mean, psychologically, I love that it reinforces that Robot truly could not do anything that went that far against the Elliot personality. Mm-hmm. But as a reveal in the finale, that kind of it falls flat. a little flat. Dare I say, because I'm not fucking brilliant, I don't know how to do any of this, but wouldn't it be better if it was Romero who set this up, who did record the keyloggers and a way to pretty much reverse it? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going back to the end of last season. The Which, last sentence said before Leon came in. It kind of fits what we know of Romero's personality and, and his desire to have this cautionary measure in place. So if Elliot went in, Figured out how to do it. Just the whole storyline. I don't go through the whole thing. And it was Romero. But then he finds out that Romero only did it because Mr. Robot told him to. Isn't that more impactful? Because he still, the whole journey had to go, he had to go through that journey to find it. To figure it out. And it wasn't just himself who did it, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess they they need to keep having it be true to the idea of multiple personalities. But yeah, if Mr. Robot told Romero to do it, then it's the same ending goal line, but Mm -hmm. it's a better journey for us. Something definitely was missing here in those last couple of pieces that, yeah, if you need to keep building the mystery and only giving bits and pieces of that, 
I understand what you're saying that not everything has to be a gigantic surprise, but it has to at least have an impact on yeah. us. Because it could have been, I mean, the fact that Mr. Robot could have told him the whole time where it was, right? That kind of sucks. But if he told Romero, but he doesn't know how Romero did mm-hmm. it, and, and they still Elliot's needed to figure it brilliance, out, which to he go always into had. the FBI to figure it out, mm-hmm. then it makes all the dots actually fit. Instead of, if you guys just got along with the, the way we've been saying to get along this whole time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's what they were kind of hinging it upon is the Elliot robot journey, their battle, and that Mr. Robot had to come to a place where he realizes Elliot means it, you know, because he truly believed he was doing this revolution because it's what Elliot wanted. Elliot didn't have the wherewithal to go through with it, but he wanted it to happen. And so Mr. Robot's whole purpose for being was to execute this. He has to get to a place where he understands it's time. Elliot really means it and he really wants it undone. He can't live with himself in order to give that to him. So, yeah, the stuff between the two of them worked for me. It was the solution to the mystery that didn't quite work. I'm on board with you on that. And so we see that next. First, you get the part of the scene with Darlene and Elliot where they're riding back on the subway. And she wonders why Elliot brought up the snowman in their conversation in Coney Island. He finally explains that was the day their dad, quote unquote, pushed him out the window. He was mad that Elliot told their mom about his cancer. Darlene starts questioning what in the hell he's talking about. She says she was there. They were in the room looking for the camera when their dad came home. Elliot just freaked out, told her to hide in the closet and snapped, started swinging his baseball bat, hitting everything and telling their dad he was going to jump. And then he did. I brought this up, and we have talked about it already this episode. Tell me everyone else wasn't writing about this already. Did I come up with this on my own? Um, about Elliot just doing it himself? Or just jumping? Mr. Robot was already manifested? Yeah, a lot of these, th- all of those theories were floating around there. All right, so let me take it a step further. But we, all were, those theories, we were floating that, yeah, even, true. this whole time. Yeah, and all those theories on Reddit are just me... Have you hacked Reddit? No, it, it's. <laughs> I think I've broken my mental state into many other Reddit users, and it's just oh, me writing okay. it. It's all me. Gotcha. Yeah. So <laughs> you're welcome, Reddit. <laughs> well, I think if you've been following the show, those are some necessary conclusions you have to come to as possibilities. And that, that's why I say it wasn't such a big surprise to find out that the father we have been seeing could not and did not commit an act like that. I also think there is still information to be found out. As we've been saying, even that response sounds a little bit different. I mean, Elliot freaking out, yelling, hitting things with a baseball bat and jumping out the window, we still don't quite have it all yet. No, we don't, not at all. About what happened. And I still go back to the fact that he forgets about Darlene from time to time. If she has been such a critical part of his childhood and helping him to remember, because when he says he doesn't recall that, she says, that's what I'm here for, to remember for you. Then why would his brain shut her out? That doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, let's not forget that he forgot that that was his sister and he thought he loved her, remember? Right. So, you know, you could say... 
that's another thing that his mind can't deal with. If he has to remember the way that day really went down, he has to remember that he did that to himself, which has got to be incredibly difficult. He also can't continue blaming his father. What's left after that is to feel a horrible amount of loss and sadness that his father was so sick that he died, that Elliot's last words to him was that he would never forgive him. Clearly, this is the brain's defense mechanism to not have to cope with that. And if Darlene keeps kind of making him to remember, it it would make sense. This hits home to me. And I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but this is something that I've been dealing with the last couple of months, the fact that my father has just died. The trauma that Elliot must have gone through, I kind of, I feel it more in my bones right now because there, of course, is things that I think about at night that I've said to my father or that I didn't say to my father that I can no longer say. It's too late now. And it hurts me. It hurts me. And I had a great relationship with my dad. And those still hurt me, Mm. right? The last conversation I had with dad, and he was sickly. He was, he looked, he was so skinny. So to imagine how Elliot's feeling with the last couple of times that he had with his father, going to the movie theaters where his dad's trying to bond with him, and this is our thing. We love Back to the Future. Here's the popcorn that you love, and he's trying to set up this great environment, and he, Elliot is just shitting on that, the way he spoke to him. If that is what I went through, if that is the last memory I had of my father, I don't know how I'd be able to live with that either. And it, it means so much more to me right now. Yeah, and because of everything you're saying, I think it's what takes me down the road of maybe it wasn't Mr. Robot and they got into a fight and he pushed him out the window, but literally that Elliot just jumped. Because if there's times where that truth starts coming home to him, Mm. talking about his mother finding out about the cancer, and if there's things he feels guilty about, maybe he literally just tried to kill himself and threw himself out the window or didn't know how to deal with it anymore. When they're in the movie theater, he starts shutting down when his father starts coughing. Real signs of his illness that Elliot just can't deal with. So I think that Darlene represents a way for us to get to that full truth eventually. And Elliot's more and more able to hear it now. You would think his response to that story would be that's not true. That didn't happen and and can't let himself think that. So it shows he's come a long way if he can just say, wow, I didn't remember that. Like, thank goodness you were here to tell me. But still the most harmful, the most hurtful things he does not remember still. He's not quite, but he's come a long way. For sure. From where he was in season one. And the next step comes with Mr. Robot next. When she leaves, Elliot tells him he knows it was him who exported the keys. Mr. Robot explained they were so close, and undoing the hack now won't fix anything. But this is where he says he's not doing it for them. He's doing it for him. He can't live with this anymore. And also, they won't win. And this is where the question comes in of how does he plan to keep pursuing this? Because he says the good thing that came out of it, the 1% who play God without permission, he will take them down. So that's still somewhere in his brain. I have a lot of questions with this, and we're not going to resolve it, but I want the Clatchers to think about this. Okay, so let's say that he brings back... So he's reversing everything, right? That means everyone's loans, everyone's 
bank statements, everything is put back into place. But now we have this new e-coin in place. So what does that mean? So that is one question. Do the dollars turn into e-coin? How do they figure that out? What equals what? What's the value? E-corp has lost their physical brick and mortar infrastructure. You can't reverse that. Yes, but White Rose and Price were talking about it doesn't matter that everything else failed. E-coin will keep them afloat. So that's going to ensure that that company continues to keep its head above water. Okay, so you wake up the next morning and you're past information is now there again. Does that fix everything? Does that no, resolve? No, because it primarily what it does is it just still helps the people in the top 1%. For everyone else, think about it. Primarily what's coming back is your debt. Mm. You don't have that much in the bank. And Esmel pretty much said that to us in the epilogue with the hooker. Yeah, and Darlene's interaction. Yeah, I mean, that's why Elliot was taking this whole thing down to begin with, was to erase the debt, because that's what the records primarily indicate for the average person. So it's interesting that he still wants to do that, and it sounds like he has another plan for what to do with the 1%. Um, so I don't know, stage four? <laughs> Does it really help? Does it help at all? Well, and that's kind of what Robot was saying. And it's interesting that Elliot is kind of the one pushing the agenda in this conversation. Uh, you know, he's undoing it because he can't live with himself, but he's the one saying, we'll still take them down. Whereas Robot's response to this is purely focused on their relationship. Whatever happens after this, I want us to keep talking, to be a team. I know I can't force you. That's why I'm asking. I did this because I thought, what if we were wrong? What if we failed? But the real reason is because it's what you would have done. I never wanted to tell you that because it's not in my nature. It's not why I exist. Mm. Only you know why I'm here. And that is it in a nutshell. He did all of this because it's what Elliot wanted but he needed that nature of somebody who could go through with it. <clears throat> and that's why he was so hard on Elliot. And that's why he was able to do those things that made us hate Robot at times. This, specifically, not the reversing the hack, is what I'm clinging on as our victorious moment. Mm-hmm. This is what we needed. Yeah, and I mean, Robot himself saying... You created me because you needed somebody to get it done, and I did what I have to do. But at the end of the day, what I want is for us to be a team. I want us to be one again. Um, It was kind of you that was shutting me out this whole time. So it's an emotional moment. Again, you get caught up in that. It feels like two different people because you're seeing Christian Slater on screen. But this is a man grappling with putting his mind back together and undoing it. The hack, whether that fixes anything for the world or not, is what fix he him needs yeah. to sleep at night. And so that's what he just did. You feel good seeing them both on screen together, talking to each other? I do. That's I do, too. what we've wanted, right? God damn, I love them together. And so the end of this is Robot tells him how to do it. The night of the hack, he transferred the keys to their box at home and burned it to his CD. The blank one, of course, that we saw <laughs> earlier. There's an algorithm embedded in one of those pictures. He says, you'll know the one. You'll know it when you see it. The Halloween picture with them, you know, him and his father dressed up, Back to the Future. With those two pieces, you can generate the two keys that were used to encrypt all the data. So this Back to the Future, 
with the picture? Did you like that? Well, it does make sense how there's certain iconic things that are burned into our brain. And yeah. if you go through a trauma and your memory loses the narrative that connects all those things, all it has are these flashes of things that it knows are important, but it doesn't quite know how to tie them all together. And that's the journey Asmel has been taking us on yes. for three seasons. We are hunting these clues that are scattered about throughout Elliot's brain, but we don't know the story that makes them all make sense. That's why I'm so split over this episode. He tried to combine that with these mysteries and these big reveals, and maybe it would have been smarter to just not do that because we don't have the impact of that. But we do have the satisfying conclusion to that bigger story of what's happening with Elliot as a person that now all makes sense. Oh, I agree with you so much. And also, I don't know if this is really true or if this is Esmel's narrative for this show, but I feel like I know Esmel. I feel like I know what he loves about the 90s. <laughs> and also, I feel like he loves what I love. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of bizarre, we have one more scene, and that's our epilogue, where a car passes by Darlene, who's walking on the street with uh, some prostitute that she's befriended. Darlene says to her to hold out hope that E-Corp will bring back all of its lost data. It will be a new start, and the economy will start to bounce back. But she says that's too simplistic. It's not the way capitalism works. So this is that conversation you said where we're kind of this other woman. Mm. That's the audience saying, well, that's not going to fix anything. Look at what happened. What's the big plan? But before we can hear any more, that same car pulls back up in front of Elliot's apartment where they've arrived at. Some men get out of the car and approach Darlene, led by none other than Fernando Vera, played by Elliot Villar. Now, you can be forgiven if you've forgotten this man, to be honest with you. I did, and I had to look up who this was. I didn't. No, I did. Well, by <laughs> face. Uh, once no, I read I the name, I said, oh, yeah, of yeah. course, from season one. But when he was on scene, I had no idea who that Me was. Me neither. I thought it was a new adversary. <laughs> and that's part of the impact that was lost. If you have forgotten, this was Elliot's earliest adversary from season one, the drug dealer who escaped from jail with Elliot's assistance only to repay him by killing Shayla, his girlfriend at the time. Following that, Vera disappeared into the night, never to be heard from again until now. So we're going way back to season one. So much has happened before then. I see where Esmel was going, and I'm actually intrigued now that I know. I'm intrigued by this storyline. But the impact wasn't there because we didn't remember who that was. Uh, all that would have had to happen was for Darlene to say, Vera? Mm-hmm. And then I would have been like, oh, my God. But wait, Darlene didn't know Vera. She didn't? No. That was Elliot's whole other world that was going on Yeah, I thought she knew girl. about him, though. Um, I might be wrong about that. Well, see, that's a problem, that We don't remember any of that. Yeah. Well, and apparently... When they were first putting all of this together and Esmail was trying to figure out, was this a movie, a play? There was no Vera. He was a product of the adaptation of the TV series, which makes sense because with things like movies, you really have to streamline more of the major characters. But when it came to TV, Esmail thought he could be more impactful, especially in the way he disappears and reappears. And that long wait for us would have this gravity upon his return. And he describes this again in that Hollywood Reporter interview. 
he talks about how this has always been about Elliot's internal emotional journey and Vera really hits some of those buttons because of the loss that he suffered. And he believes the one person Elliot's truly ever emotionally connected with was Shayla. And so her death really affected him. And that's why this is going to mean big news for season four if he comes back on scene as an adversary. It kind of brings Elliot's journey full circle and it's going to be something else that he has to deal with that's not on such a grand scale. It really kind of narrows more into Elliot's life. Yeah, so they're going to simplify for next season, which I think we need. Well, and he leaves you with that final line, which perhaps we should have known Again, I couldn't quite put it all together in time, but Vera says, I'm just a brave traveler who's finally come home. I'm intrigued to find out where he's been. I'm intrigued to find out what he's up to now. Why is he coming to Darlene? Mm-hmm, that can't this be good. is going to be a good storyline. And this is something that is going to throw Elliot for a loop. Absolutely. So this brings us to our finale robot rating. Oh my God, it's the last episode, Chris. This rating means a lot. Okay, before you give it, I'd like to give you a synopsis of what our season ratings have been up until now. I won't go through every episode, but when averaged out, we'll start off with IMDb gave this episode a 9.8, and if you tally all of their ratings, they've given season three a 9.5. 95% for a season. Now, if you tally our robot ratings for this season, not including today, I've given it an 8.9 and you've given it a 9. So we are 0.1% difference, which is pretty interesting because I know it might sound sometimes like I'm a little hard on this show or I rate a little bit lower than you. But at the end of the day, we literally almost end up at the same place. Yeah. Well, I think it's important for a podcast. You need to have someone that brings up the things that are lacking and someone that brings up the things that they really enjoy and that are brilliant. If it was a podcast that always talked about how perfect everything was, that would be boring. If it was Mm. a podcast that talked about everything that was shitty, that would be... (laughs) Terrible. Yeah. It's important that we have a yin and a yang in a podcast as well. But in the end, we're going to give our full grade, and that's going to mirror what our absolute position is on this show. And that actually makes sense if you think about that. Yeah, and it's definitely higher than our overall season two ratings. It's getting back to close to where our season one ratings were at. Uh, Nine out of ten, that's a pretty damn good score. And so that brings us to tonight. Jason, for the season three finale, what do you give Shutdown? Ugh. I don't even want to bring it. I'm so sad. This is bringing it to an end. Well, here's the good news. Number one, as you said, we did find out that Mr. Robot was greenlit for season four. So it's not the end of this show. Number two, coming up in January, we have one of our favorite shows, which is Sci-Fi's The Magicians. I know that's a smaller audience. So if you're not aware of this show, definitely go check it out. I know they're going into season three, but you still have enough time left to go back binge those seasons one and two, which I thought were fantastic. And one and two is on Netflix right now. After that, if you want to catch up on everything magicians, you can go back to our magicians channel. We actually did a Break Bills 101 episode, which kind of covers all of season one and gets you up to season two. Then you can listen to our season two bonus. 
And we have that interview with Arjun Gupta, which was amazing. He plays Penny, one of the main characters on the show. And he's a cool dude in real life. Yeah, it was just kind of a chill conversation, but he also gave us some great insights into the show. So we highly recommend that if it's not your speed or if you just need more of the Coffee Clatch crew and coverage, you can check out everything that's going on on our Patreon. And we have more content. We're not going ghost in this month. We are taking some time off as far as our free podcasts are concerned, but we're still delivering content to our Patreon members. We got movie reviews and bonus reviews coming up for all of our Patreon members. Well over 24 hours of content for you. Just to tease what's going on over there, the last movie we reviewed was Murder on the Orient Express. And coming up soon for this December holiday season, the Clatchers have voted. The poll results are in. We will be doing Love Actually. And so that's what happens. If you are on the movie tier level, every month we give you options, including movies that are new at the theater right now, and always one pre-existing throwback or just for fun movie on there. You vote, and we cover whatever it is that you choose. We do a lot of research. Those are pretty thorough and, I think, exciting. They give you the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that you might not have known about that movie. And then we have our bonus casts, which are a lot more laid back. We cover just fun topics, news, other shows that we're watching, whatever's interesting. Yeah, our bonuses are great. We talk about more private things that are going on. I feel like our Patreon clatchers know us better than we do. Oh, and you get our bloopers, which is kind of fun. All of the mistakes and mess ups. We always put a brief little blooper reel in there. Yeah, you get to see how much of a goofball I actually am. As a Christmas bonus, Santa delivered something for us. We're not just doing Love Actually. We're also doing the Doctor Who Christmas special this month. It's very easy. It's a couple clicks. You go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. You click on our Patreon button and you get sent to our page and you choose what tier you want to be. And we're still doing that special. If you join for a dollar or more and we get 300 people join this month, everyone will get all the tiers. You'll get the bonus. You'll get the movie. You'll get access to everything. You'll get to 10% off and we'll be a big E-Corp family. (laughs) Yeah. So 300, you get all content for one month, a thousand or more. That opens that up forever. So you people on the $1 tier who are looking for those bonus extras... Put the word out there to anyone you know. For just a dollar, if we reach that number, they can make it happen for you. And we take this seriously. Our bonus, we put at least six hours into our bonus episodes. For our movies, six to ten hours of watching, note-taking, editing, recording. We put our heart and soul into all of these episodes, and I think you'll feel it as well. And the final promotional special, Moving Into the Magicians... We told you all that we were looking for your support to build up our iTunes rating for the Magician's channel. Once we reach 100 reviews for that, we will select one person out of the reviewing bunch and you will receive a free item of Coffee Clatch Crew merchandise. So go to the Coffee Clatch Crew on iTunes and click on our Magician's channel to leave your review there. That would be really exciting, and we're going to leave that running up through our coverage of The Magician, so make sure you get in on that chance for the raffle. Well, Jason, I feel like you took this time to stall (laughs) for your robot rating, but I'm going to bring it back around and force you now to give it to us. My bot rating, and this was already written down before I heard what you said, is 9.8. Wow. I really enjoyed this episode. All the things I've said already... 
Esmel had to bring all of our major characters together to try to sum everything up for everybody and not have a million jump clips. He brought us to a location that we know. He answered some questions. He brought up some more questions. And he left some questions we already had lingering with a little elbow bump bumps to us. I felt like this was a great episode to let a lot of his characters shine. And he was able to do that in an hour. So all season, the only time we went above a 9.5 was for episode four, Runtime Error, which we both gave a 9.8. So it looks like that was our clear winner for the season, closely followed by this one. You gave it a 9.8. I'm going to give it a 9. So you did enjoy it. Yeah, I only went above a 9 a couple of times this season. I gave the first episode a 9, the second one undo a 9.2. Kill Process a 9.4, and like we said, the one-shot one, episode four, we both gave a 9.8, so we were really high. I think we've always been really high on the one episodes per season that are very different, the mm. 80s, 90s sitcom one. Last time, we, yeah, we loved that graded kind of stuff. through the roof. Anytime it's just so original where you feel like Esmail is breaking out all the stops, that's our highest rating, but to open and end with a nine, I feel like is a pretty clean... Absolutely. Tying the season up in a bow. Just to reiterate, if people weren't listening to us back then, we know it's not a real one-shot, but it was a one-shot feel. Right. So that's how we're kind of colloquially referring to it. But that takes us into our MVH, Most Valuable Hacker. We put up our poll with the choices being Elliot and Mr. Robot, Irving, Angela and Price, and Dom. The results are in. In fourth place was Angela and Price with only 5%. So I guess a lot of people must have agreed. Um, the shocker for me, in third place, Dom only got 9%. In second place, Irving got 27%. And that means our winner coming in at 59% was Elliot and Mr. Robot. Travis said, okay, so I'm not voting Elliot and Robot just because Bobby Cannavale was so good. But season-long standing ovation... <laughs> Standing ovation for the role of Elliot and Robot with a strong ending. Also answered a ton and left a ton more questions. As you said, Wade wrote in, can we have a write-in for Leon? (laughs) Recovering Hippie said, totally should have been Irving. That scene, this next bunch, these are for me. Oren said, Elliot is the obvious choice, but Leon saved the day. And Kirk said, too hard to decide this week, so I'm writing in Gal Gadot. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Oh, boy. So, Jason, who is your MVH? So, I really wanted to go Elliot, Mr. Robot, but I've been going Elliot too much. Yes, they were the drive in this season and this episode. They're the ones that are going to reverse this hack. But you know what? I'm going Irving. His impact on this show was amazing. His impact on this episode was even more amazing. There's so much to him that we don't know, but there's so much to him that we feel like we do know. Cannavale's acting was unprecedented. He brought this series to a new level, and I hope we see him back. Irving deserves the MVH. Well, I'm sorry to disagree, and for the third episode in a row, I normally hold myself to a higher standard. I have to give it to Elliot and Robot. As I said, because this was the shining moment of both the episode and the season, their journey together, I feel like I have no other choice, and thus my season MVH would also go to Elliot and Mr. Robot. I feel I know, like we're going to have a fight. I know, I know Rami <laughs> Malik's already won an award, but give him another one. 
Well, we've also kind of brought up our Clatcher's comments along the way. One last one from Metal Monkey. He has a prediction moving into season four. He says, even though Dom hates Darlene and Elliot now, they do have the same goal. The only way to keep Dom's family truly safe is to eliminate White Rose and the Dark Army completely. And there we have the reluctant and secret partnership she will have to make with Darlene and Elliot to take them down for good. It will be interesting to see her pretend to play ball with the Dark Army while covering for Elliot's push to destroy them. Ooh. So, you know, we've been hoping for that and thought we would see that all season long. I felt a little less confident coming out of the finale, but I would totally agree with you, Metal Monkey. I would love to see that in season four. We had on Twitter, at Rebel Electric, she wrote, I'm pretty sure the pictures on Angela's walls are of all the people that died in the explosions. Post-it notes cover their faces, probably so they stop staring at her or she'll uncover them when they're alive, or maybe both. She's referring to last episode. Remember when Angela had all those pictures on the wall? Yeah. I think she hit the nail on the head right there. I think she's right about that. Yeah, I heard another podcast talking about this, going so far as to say she could have even been going around to those memorial boards and taking pictures of people off of them. I mean, definitely she was consumed by trying to bring everyone back. So maybe she thought if she was putting them up there visually... She could bring them back. She could bring them back. She was doing that with a rewind button on the TV. Uh, Yeah, I would agree. And that's what I mean. We saw her go so far off the deep end. I don't think that's totally reversed yet. And I'm actually really excited to see where Angela's journey goes for season four. I wasn't big on her plot line in season two. Um, I think she's gotten a lot more interesting in season three. Speaking of our seasons and where things are going... Esmail has been talking about that a little bit, saying he always pitched this as four or five seasons because, honestly, he thought it would be somewhere in between that. So that could mean that the next two seasons, four and five, are shorter, or they could still be two full 10-season episodes. They're trying to figure that out in the writer's room and see where they're going so it doesn't feel like they're treading water or dragging things out too long. And if that's how they feel, two somewhat shorter seasons, if Esmail thinks that's the better way to tell the story, I would still be satisfied with that. Me too. And because he's insane, he says he is going to continue writing, directing, producing, doing it all for next season four, as well as this new project that he's got. This is his time. I would do it too. Oren wrote to us on Twitter. He wrote, at CKC Podcast, I was giving my daughter who is 14, the episode synopsis in the car this morning. She asked a great question. Is Price really Angela's dad? Smart kid. So what she's bringing up is, is he manipulating her now? Mm. Is he really her dad? Am I so caught up in being right that maybe it's not even true? I think that would be really interesting because we see in the past couple episodes, it appears that Price is doing everything White Rose asked, despite the fact that he railed against that when, I'm sorry, Minister Zhang went at him and said, you're being fired, you're going to find your own replacement. He was spitting angry, but then we see him going to Tyrell, making Tyrell the new CEO, putting all of these things in order, still continuing to follow out with those orders. That's not how Price would react Price would be looking for a way to get his own revenge and to keep White Rose from having the upper hand in everything. So you had surmised he could be playing at his own game with what he's doing with Tyrell and E-Corp. 
And it could be the same thing with Angela. Perhaps he does have an idea for how to take back his power. And the way he does that is by manipulating the pawns he has left. Mm. And Angela is definitely one of the big ones. And, you know, this information that she still has that could maybe hurt White Rose in a big way, he could manipulate her into using that. I don't know. When she said what's next as far as revenge is concerned, Price did say to her, I'm afraid your only move is to accept. You've been conned. Find a way to live with that. Meaning we're not going to get redemption. Yeah, but he told Tyrell the same thing, right? Remember when he went to Mr. Robot and Tyrell Mm -hmm. and he pretty much told him, you're just going to be a figurehead. You're a pawn. You guys don't understand. This is bigger than you. So he has a plan, but he's not willing to bring her in it. Yeah, okay. He can't let them know it it yet. And it would kind of be suspect if he just went through this whole thing about telling her that he's her father yeah. And then starts plotting this, like, are you using me to get to White Rose? Whereas this way, it feels like he really was just telling her to tell her, no, it's it's over, girl. We got to just live <laughs> with it. But this is the truth of the situation. So, yeah, I really like that question. There are some big ones remaining after season three, including what is her bigger plan? What's going on with the plant? What did he show everyone or tell them to make them believers? What is Price's bigger plan and what is he playing out with his pawns? What is Elliot's idea now to get back at the 1%? How will him and Mr. Robot be working towards that in season four? What's going to happen with Vera? Is Darlene now in danger from him? How is that going to affect Elliot's life moving forward? So much still to look at. I want to thank all the Clatchers who have been along this ride with us. I want to thank Alec for plugging our podcast on his social networks and everyone else who has done the same. To our researchers who write in with vital information every week that helps us, like Metal Monkey, we really appreciate it. To our Clatchers who are constantly giving us advice Mm. and support, including Metal Monkey and Orin. To our Clatchers who are constantly giving us advice and support, like Kirk. All of our Patreon members, because you guys are amazing. We know all of you by name. We just don't want to list a bunch of names here because it'd be boring. But we know who you are and we are thinking about you. And added to that list is Jake, who just recently joined our Patreon. This is a community. We do this not only for you, but with you guys. Thank you for being a Clatcher. We hope you continue to follow us through our adventures yet to come. I want to thank Jamie H. for leaving us our latest review on Mr. Robot. We love that review. Thank you so much. And I'm glad you'll be hitting up our Amazon kickback. So follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Leave us a review on iTunes. Use the Amazon link for your shopping and check us out on Patreon. Those are all ways you can continue to give back. We look forward to joining the adventure for the magicians and the shows after that, including Westworld. Don't forget, that'll be here before you know it. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.